Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 134 with Bupati Rapalu. Bupati has an interesting perspective on what's going on with the world of automation and machines and are you at risk and how should you respond to that and navigate to your dream job. So you're going to walk away at learning one, the implications of improving artificial intelligence on your current job. Two, a rule of thumb to know if you can be replaced by a machine and how to deal with it. And three, a killer way to make a fantastic interview impression. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep134. And while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our cool resources from the Gold Nugget email summaries, which take notes for you. If you can't take those notes, you're running, you're driving, we'll do it for you. Email those to you. You can add your own little finishes and notes complete or the 10 days to winning at work email course where you can sort of slash through the waste in your work week by learning some great tools and tactics to get things done all the faster. Here's a quick bit about Bupati. He is an international speaker, blogger, and best-selling author of The Race for Work. He helps working professionals find their career fulfillment by exploiting the fast-growing disruptive technologies. Visit Bupati.com, that's B-H-O-O-P-A-T-H-I, for details and additional resources. Here's Bupati. Bupati, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. It's a pleasure, in fact. Oh, yes. Well, you have a fascinating area of expertise in your book, and so I'm so curious to dig into it. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, Terminator or The Matrix. and. <laughs> <laughs> here where the future of work may be going in some ways. So maybe you could open us up by sharing kind of your own personal struggle amidst what you're mm-hmm. calling the second machine age and how that led you to write your book here, The Race for Work. Great. Well, there are two parts. One is my struggles. The second part is the reason for writing the book. Actually, I had obviously a bit of struggle in my early career for the lack of growth that I expected. In fact, straight out of my grad school, in fact, I graduated from one of the elite schools in India. Then I spent five years without promotion. Mm. Pretty much stuck in my career. I I was working as a project manager in one of the renowned IT company in India. And I was doing most of the managerial work uh, in managing, of course, large teams of projects. There were uh, world travel engagements. Outside, it was looking pretty attractive for others, but internally, I was feeling stuck somewhere, uh, lack of growth, not going where I wanted to go. So I took it as a challenge and I invested a lot of money in educating myself on how to crack this puzzle of career growth. What kind of skills are in demand? How do I get into those fast-growing technologies? So I took some of the expensive courses, tried a bit, a lot of experiments, tweaked the courses. I managed to get into my dream job. So that was part of the breakthrough, kind of a career breakthrough when without the background automation, without the 
case for race for work or anything. That race for work has well, if actually... I could, if I could hop in yeah. right there, I mean, so that's great stuff. Well, I'm a huge fan of education and, and it's kind of why I, I do the show and mm-hmm. it can make mm-hmm. a world of difference. And so while we're there, before we forget, mm-hmm. do you recommend any particular kind of game-changing courses or resources we should look at? Well, I have taken multiple courses. One that I can quote is, because I have taken the dream job course from Ramit Sethi. Oh, Ramit, he's great. Yes, I'm a student of him. I, after that, I met him a couple of times. And We I, interviewed I'm his a, brother, Manish, on the show earlier, oh, talking okay. about the Pavlock and how it can shock you and result in changing habits. That was episode 90. Okay. He's a character. <laughs> so yes, of course. I just met him recently in three, four months back in New York, uh, one of the events. Yeah, he's an interesting character. That's great. Well, so, okay, noted. So education makes a difference. It works. And you found Ramit's stuff pretty helpful. Yeah, not just that. I have taken a couple of other courses, minor ones. And then initially it didn't work for me. And then I thought I should do something different. Then what I did is that I started customizing all the principles that I learned into the local environment, let's say Indian market, you know, and kind of opportunities, the technology maturity. So ultimately, I learned that only the experimentation, testing in the individual context, circumstance gives you the right results, not just copying somebody's tools or tactics is going to work. So that I found my dream job. In fact, it was indeed a dream job. And the kind of growth I got from my previous job to the job that I got is phenomenal. Now, that was my launch pad, I must say, because I got a job where my manager in the previous company has ended up being my subordinate in the new company. Apparently, my manager also joined my new company. Moving on up in the world. Yes. (laughs) So, like, I got two levels up where my manager has got just a job change in in a different company at the same level. If that was not surprising, I have to say that the fact that the manager has not joined the new company directly. He has taken a break for an year and he has joined an Ivy League business school. And he finished that business school and out of that business school, he got a placement in the new company as my subordinate. And that's well, not you're a doing small something right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a small business school either. It is in top 20 in the world. Okay. Well, you have my attention. <laughs> Show us the way. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one success leads to a subsequent success. You know, that gave me an idea that, okay, things can be cracked. You know, that actually triggered into multiple areas of my life, be it health, be it uh, writing, be it relationships, you know whatnot. And one by one, one by one, I started working on that afterwards. Okay, that's one part of the story. The second part of the question that you asked is why race for work? Apparently, my job is in the area of building automation solutions for Fortune 500 companies. Every project I took in the last four years eliminated tens, twenties, even hundreds of people after we rolled out our solutions. So I, I manage advanced analytics business for my company. So every project that I get is aimed at eliminating people. So that, that's the reason for writing my book. I thought, okay, people are losing jobs and there is a way to get jobs. How Why can't I combine these two areas? I know exactly how to get into a job that you want, how to get into a dream job. And I also know that a lot of people who are losing their jobs, there's a real context. I'm witnessing them. So can I combine these two 
things yes that's the result uh, of race uh, the result is the race for work i see it now are you sure it's not just a guilty conscience you put so many people out of work you're trying to make yes. amends yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. That is a fascinating vantage point, yes, that you've had in terms of seeing some not so great results in your career progression, as well as a fantastic sort of leapfrogging there. Right. And then being at the forefront of the actual implementations that put folks out of work. So, well, please, you know, let's definitely make sure we get both sides of this. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk a little bit first about this robots and automation. I guess I'm wondering the extent to which that notion that mm-hmm. they are going to sort of put tons of folks in the U.S. and around the world out of work, you know, to what extent is that real and it's going to be happening on a massive scale versus, you know, it's more minor or on the fringes? Okay. Well, it depends as all answers. Uh, no, that's a usual answer every expert gives. Unfortunately, I had to give that, uh, but I can clarify that. I can give much more deeper uh, view into that. When we say robots or you know, AI, nothing like what you see in sci-fi movies, okay. Hollywood movies. You know, it's not going to be a real robot out there or it's not going to be an invisible artificial intelligence sitting somewhere you know, trying to dominate or eliminating your job today. It's about mundane things. It's about the skills that you see every day in our uh, daily life, like we see face recognition technology, clearly working when mm-hmm. we see Facebook, or when we log into the Facebook and it recognizes your face and your friend's faces, right? The translation technology is working. You know, the, the moment you put any language, Google Translate can translate, right? And also the speech recognition started working. The Siri understands most of the language now and it logically answers. So these are the fundamental capabilities that the growth of these capabilities is phenomenal. In fact, six years back when IBM's Watson computer has won the Jeopardy game, mm-hmm. from then onwards in the last six years, it has grown uh, whopping 2,400%. So that's the kind of growth. Uh, you say uh, grown uh, in what exactly? What's the measurement? In terms of its accuracy, intelligence. So Watson has answered questions from a quiz master the world's most famous quiz master in that game, Jabardi game. And then voice recognition technology from Google now claims 98% accuracy. And uh, Facebook's face recognition technology is also similar, around 97% uh, success rated as. So they are reaching the culmination point. They are going to be as accurate as human mind. Now, whatever we are doing in our day-to-day work with applying these capabilities, trying to do on a similar scale or trying to accomplish tasks that can be eventually done by an artificial intelligence, either on uh, deployed on your laptop or deployed somewhere on cloud, but can be accessed. So that is at risk. It's not the entire job, but the task that you are doing in a day, let's say probably you are doing an hour in a day or two hours in a day, whatever percentage of time you are spending on doing such tasks, they are going to be automated. So you may not feel the heat anytime now. So until you see that 60% of our day's work is actually done by some kind of software algorithm. Okay. And then slowly you see that your role in the current job is diminishing. No? So it's not a sudden threat, but eventually we come to know about it. Okay. And so now what's the approximate kind of 
I guess, scope of this in terms of projections? Because, I mean, you talked about some specific things from speech recognition to facial recognition and such. So I guess in some ways I'm thinking, yeah. oh, in translation, that seems like sort yeah. of a relatively small piece of the workforce. I think there are other forces coming down the pike as well. Absolutely. So we broadly divide the workforce into you know, blue-collar work and knowledge work, mm-hmm. right? So the threat is actually more for knowledge workers than the blue-collar workers, I, I must say. Because the knowledge work is more around this capabilities, like processing language, processing numbers, analyzing things. So this is where AI is actually getting good at at much faster rate. Even if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, the analytical skills, the thinking skills have been evolved pretty much recently in the large scales of evolution, the time scales. But whereas our gross motor skills, the ability to maneuver things or the, the skill that we have in our hands, legs, ability to run, all these are developed over a period of multiple hundreds of millions of years, right? Mm-hmm. So it is very difficult to master that skill. A robot mastering the gross motor skills of humans or matching the gross motor skills of humans is really difficult. It's going to take much more time. But an algorithm mastering the capability of analyzing things like just like human brain is not that difficult. It's counterintuitive, but it's actually uh, happening now. Now, take calculator that was invented about 100 years back. Now, that's why we call our computers computers because they compute. Today, nobody uses mind to calculate in terms of divisions or multiplications beyond certain point. We use calculators because they are good at it and they are Mm -hmm. much better than human mind. Now, similarly, extending that to deeper analysis, processing large amount of data, numbers, text, and deriving meaning, we are slowly losing out our relevance in that work. We no longer want to depend on our mind, but we want to use algorithm, software for that, AI for that. So that way, without our notice, we put machines on the task, relieving humans out of it. Okay. And so you're saying that sort of how many current jobs are we thinking will be impacted by all this? Well, there are studies, research reports, estimates that say that around half of today's jobs may become irrelevant because the skills are already being matured in artificial intelligence in some or other form. But then we will figure out new skills. You know, the moment we identify, uh, we found computers, people learned computers and started working on computers. People Earlier, people thought that computers are going to eliminate jobs, but they created more jobs because people started learning computer skills. I think that's going to nullify to some extent. Uh, it's not going to be a major threat like, of the jobs will be eliminated, but that remain, 50% of the people will become jobless. They may not become jobless. They look for jobs that are coming up. But still, I'm afraid that's not going to be 50% all, right? Maybe 10, 20% of the working population will see the heat and, you know, they face the heat and they might have to struggle to find their relevant work in the future. And so this is 50% over like, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Yeah, that's for uh, 20 years. Okay, noted. Well, so now it seems like it determines maybe our risk assessment mm-hmm. of sort of your given sort of career path. I guess you could think of it if it's a matter of 
translation or face recognition or speech to text or kind of data pulling and processing, those are kind of ripe for being shaken up. So are there any other sort of key, you know, acid tests or means of assessing whether we should be fast-tracking our new skills development? Right. So there is a simple test that we can do anytime. That is whether our work is algorithmic in nature or heuristic in nature. By that mean, algorithm is something that can be put into a formula. Whatever I'm doing at my desk, can that be put into a formula? Is it following a step-by-step rule? However complicated that rule is, it not necessarily like if this, then that. Now, that is the simplest rule we always put into a computer program. But what if my work can be deduced into such a complex logic, even if it has 100 if loops and then loops, even then that can be automated in no time by artificial intelligence. That's algorithmic work, we say. Contrary to that, the other part is the heuristic work where human judgment, apart from human judgment, we use our empathy, our feelings, our imagination, creativity to come up with an outcome that cannot be put into any reasonable logic. So that's heuristic work. So if your work is falling more into algorithmic work and less of heuristic work, then there is a pretty high chance that that work will be automated. All right. Noted. Thank you. Well, so now tell us, what's the answer? Let's get to the light side of this. What are the keys to getting to career fulfillment and being in a safer spot? Okay. So there are conflicting developments in the career space, especially, you know, when the millennials enter into this job market, right? So earlier uh, job was primarily seen as a source of income for survival, but come millennials, they want more freedom, they want more money, and they want more meaning. So we want much more than a salary from our jobs. So job satisfaction is totally redefined in the last 15, 20 years. To get that, if we want to work in a company, even if it gives a stable job, Uh, with a good salary, many people are going to reject that because they may not find meaning in that. They may not find enough freedom in that, just in case that job is demanding you 10 hours of your time every day, irrespective of your personal responsibilities. So career fulfillment is revolved around these things, how you maximize your money, meaning, and freedom. All right. So I see that in emerging technologies, there is a growing opportunity to get this magic combination of more money, more meaning, and more freedom if you manage to get into any of this emerging technologies. Or it need not be directly working on the emerging technologies. I'm not suggesting everybody go to artificial intelligence or Internet of Things. But any job that involves direct or indirect effect of emerging technologies or application of these technologies give you the factors for career fulfillment, the factors are money, meaning, and freedom. Primarily because when you work on emerging technologies or when you work using the power of these emerging technologies, the growth path is laid out. You know, These are some of the fastest growing technologies. If a technology is growing, your industry is growing. If your industry is growing, your career also grows along with that. And recognition is uh, much better in the emerging technologies compared to the 
existing age-old technology. For example, you recognition. Even if what do you mean by recognition? recognition? Yeah, recognition to the job, whatever you do. In your book, you've got a proven step-by-step method to find career fulfillment, whether that's in emerging technologies or another industry. So sort right. of what's the step one and how do we progress? Right. So that's uh, part three of my book where I divided the book into three areas where first I cover the situation today, uh, why automation is going to take up. And the second thing is, ironically, the same emerging technologies that are going to eliminate most of the jobs are also offering some of the dream jobs, some of the opportunities for career fulfillment, right? The very technologies are giving you an option to grow your career, give more money, more freedom, more fulfillment. So I list out all the options or the sexiest jobs of 21st century. Where do you find them? And the third section, I talk about the specific strategies I have used for my own dream job. And I trained hundreds of my students who use the same approach to get into this emerging technologies. Most of them do not have experience. So what is the strategy? What's step one and then how does it go? Okay, so I formulated that uh, into a simple five steps, which I call DREAM, a good acronym for the DREAM jobs, you know. So D-R-E-A-M. So at a high level, D stands for discover, where you actually identify your dream job. This is something for people who do not have any idea about what their dream job is. I mean, majority of people fall into this bucket. They have vague idea about what their dream job is. Often they think that getting a double of the current salary is a dream job. Some people think if I have a little more freedom, not being tied up to nine to five, but probably I work whenever I want. If I have an option of working from home, that's my dream job. But actually, that's not what social scientists say a dream job is. That's not what the human resource experts say. What do they say is the dream job? Yeah, the dream job is actually a culmination of all this. Either a money or a meaning or a freedom alone would give you a dream job. It's a combination of all these three things. All right. And there's a way to discover it, you know. I mentioned multiple ways uh, depending on a specific situation of an individual, but a simple way is actually, you know, doing a window shopping, something like window shopping. Just go to LinkedIn and go to a, uh, a particular industry you are in and then browse for jobs, sample jobs uh, in that particular industry, you know. And then you find tens, twenties, thirty, forty, hundreds of jobs and see And for each of the job role, you find a lot of people in your close circles, first level, second level, even third level, and see what they're doing. And then if you want to really know how that particular job is, talk to somebody. So by window shopping, we understand much more than what it is. It eliminates most of our illusions or delusions about the job before we, you know, spending a lot of time imagining about it wasting six months or one year of effort in terms of pursuing that job or in case by luck. Unfortunately, if you manage to get that job and join that job and then later you find that that is not actually your dream job. Absolutely. Happens all the time. It happens all the time. So with window shopping technique, you actually do a shopping of jobs that you fancy about. Talk to people who are actually doing that job the past 5, 10, 15 years and then get the first-hand picture of what it looks like. Is that really your dream job or not? Then come back and then reevaluate. 
So that is the way I found my dream job. I actually made mistakes, you know, two, three times. I thought this A is my job and B is my dream job. And I went ahead, talked to people and then realized, oh my God, I should have wasted my life had I get into this job. Well, that's right? perfect. Yes. <laughs> and so after Discover, what happens? Then second thing is R is for reach. So this is all aligned to getting into a job that uses advanced technologies, right? So Reach is about identifying what is growing in that. What are the technologies that are shaping that particular function? For example, you take marketing. Marketing is today dominated by social media marketing, not like age-old marketing where you come up with ads in a TV or a newspaper or meeting some people in a certain industry event. Most of the marketing is now dominated by social media or digital marketing, online marketing or even getting clients from marketing. So how these technologies are changing this marketing function? So identifying the levers which are going to take the function, business function, as well as your career to at least 10x in the next five years. So it's about identifying that and reaching those people who are in that particular role. Who's the guy uh, who's doing digital marketing and has grown at least two or two, three promotions in the last five years? Go and reach that people. So they are the people who have done that path. All right. So that's about reach. You know, I have given out specific strategies to do that. So we are in the third step now, engage. So E is for engage. So in the engage, we talk about you stepping into that role. You know? How do you start mastering the particular technology, particular business domain, and then engaging your industry primarily by blogging you know or you know writing or speaking you go to your own alma mater you go to university and talk about the topic encourage your uh, students discuss about the topic and use that experience to go to an event try to get a speaking slot so basically the idea here is to become an authority in that particular area so this is where you build your expertise in that particular growing technology in a particular business domain that you are interested in so that's where you are building a momentum for your career to elevate yourself into that role. The fourth leg is the attract. So this is to attract the right job opportunities. So we always, when we say job, we always think about searching for online portals and applying for a job and you know, try to get it. But you know, again and again, most of the research reports say that 80% of the jobs are filled up before it comes to a job portal. Mm-hmm. Only so remaining for the 20% of the jobs, 80% of the people apply for it, right? So most of the jobs get filled based on the referrals, based on the connections, based on the network. So how do you attract those jobs? By proving yourself in the market. You have to be visible for the area you are standing for. So you are standing for a business domain and for a particular technology or a group of technologies, right? How these technologies are transforming this particular career paths and what kind of value you are adding to that. So you have to be a thought leader in that. And it's not difficult to become a thought leader. It's not difficult to become a speaker. Now, in a span of six months, I started with zero and managed to get 10 speaking engagements on big data analytics. Paid speaking engagements? No, they were not paid initially for the first 10. First 20 of my speaking engagements were not paid. Mm-hmm. But after that, I started getting payment. There you go. But the idea is not to get the payment, but to build my expertise. Right? So I used to go to these universities 
and business conferences. And even I used to go to small companies, medium companies to speak about this topic. So that's when you build the expertise and then you industry starts recognizing about your capabilities, your contribution. And then what you attract is the quality job offerings. You Literally, you'll be spammed by job opportunities. That's the attract part. And the last part is M uh, in the dream. M is about mastering the whole selection process. It's about how you master the interview, how you manage the interview. Interview is not about yourself. It's completely about the company. It's completely about the hiring manager, what is his requirements, what he's looking for. So how can you contribute to his mission? So I laid out some tactics there and some of the I used in my own struggle and as well as some of my students helped me to conceptualize those tactics and tools. Oh, sure. Can you give us one tactic that's just killer for making a great interview impression? Sure. So one thing I would usually recommend my students is that you bring a plan, bring a plan in your interview that, you know, how you are going to add value to the company, to especially the hiring manager in the next three to six months time frame. Pick one or two challenges. The hiring manager would have it depending on what all the data that you can get online, website for a typical role in a typical company, what is the size of the business is managing. So take one or two challenges and see how you are going to address those challenges. What is your contribution? The moment you bring a plan to an interview, the focus will be completely shifted from you to the plan. So the discussion is about how you are adding value to the company. So that puts you in totally a different ballgame that's you will be viewed as a contributor, not just a person attending an interview, aspiring for a job, looking for a job. That makes a lot of difference. It's a killer. I love it. Thank you. All right. Well, this is a good stuff. So I think we got to shift gears here and hear about some of your favorite things. Could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Sure. One thing I usually think about, at least once a day, I think about this quote. This is from Tim Ferriss. What you do is infinitely more important than how you do it. So it's about productivity, right? Everybody thinks about how can I be productive, more productive, actually get more done in less time. But actually, what you do, I like prioritizing things is much more important than doing things at a much better rate. Because if you are doing the wrong thing, however productively you do it, ultimately you are doing a wrong thing, isn't it? That's right. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book? I like the book from Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. All right. I keep reading it again and again. That's good. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's a product or service or software or app, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I use Evernote regularly. It's my digital junkyard, I would say. (laughs) Everything that I want to keep track of that goes into Evernote. And it helps me a lot. Oh, good. Thanks. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish? I meditate every day and write journal. That is something keeps me on track from the regular hustle and bustle of life, travel and job priorities. But the morning 10 minutes of meditation followed by five minutes of journal writing would keep me focused, at least to decide my priorities of the day. Okay. Thank you. And... Is there a particular nugget or piece from your book or teachings that seems to particularly resonate with folks and really get them nodding their heads and 
mm-hmm. sort of saying, ah, yes, that's brilliant. Okay, uh, the two concepts that are getting increasingly discussed among my readers. One is the big three technologies that I talk about in uh, my book. The big three technologies are the artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, and 3D printing. These three technologies together have much more impact on the world, and they are the fundamental three technologies that are ultimately going to lead to the technological singularity, what we call the machines overtaking humans Oh my. Whenever that is going to be. Because So you think it's going to happen at some point. That's your take. It is going to happen for sure. But I mean, there are ways to interpret it. Probably a better or a more desired singularity is when humans also transcend. We are now people are talking about cyborgs, like Elon Musk is talking about humans transcending more into cyborgs. We already started that, you know, we have wearables now. Some of the wearables are actually internal, you know, you have the embedded technology within your body. Right, like the pacemaker in Silicon Valley. Technically, I am a cyborg. (laughs) True, absolutely. So when you become a cyborg, you don't need to worry about machines because you're part of them. Otherwise, they're going to come flaming and chopping (laughs) your your head off. Yeah, that may not happen. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where should they reach out? Well, my Twitter handle is at Bhupati, B-H-O-O-P-A-T-H-I. And my website is also on the same name, Bhupati.com. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd leave folks with who are seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Sure. I would definitely request people to take this challenge you know take a brutal assessment of what you do at a workplace hour by hour for a week you know, and brutally honest you don't need to be friendly to yourself because this is to assess your risk of automation right mm-hmm. so at the end of the week strike off those tasks that are already automated somewhere or prone for automation basically tasks that are algorithmic in nature and create your own plan to get out of those tasks by replacing them with more of heuristic work or creative work. Your career success will follow eventually, usually in not more than six months. Because the moment you eliminate algorithmic work and add more and more of creative work, you find your career success automatically. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Well, this has been such a treat. Thank you and good luck. And, you know, stay safe <laughs> amidst the potential <laughs> machine. Was the word you used, quantum point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> Right, sweet. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really dig that perspective about heuristic versus algorithmic work and how it makes a world of difference and distinction. And what's also interesting is I've been reflecting on what you might call hybrid approaches to that in terms of where can things be algorithmic a little bit and then be handled heuristically afterwards. So, you know, one instance might be if I'm algorithmically thinking of who would make a great guest and I'm checking their credentials or legitimacy, I might say algorithmically, you know, yes or no to, do they have over 20,000 Twitter followers that are not fake? Have they done a TED talk? You know, these are sort of indicators that we can check a quick yes or no for, and then maybe that could be automated with a machine or shared with a lower cost person that you're working with in terms of maybe an intern can tackle that. Maybe an administrative assistant can tackle that. If it is more of a algorithmic approach, then it's kind of easier to say yes or no, as opposed to just having that kind of internal judgment for 
what's good or not. So it's a good test, either for automation or for letting other folks help you out with something. Is it algorithmic? Yes, no. If, then, or is it heuristic? You just got to put it all together in your brain and know and intuit some things. And that's a pretty handy reflection. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep134. And I do recommend you push the subscribe button so you will be sure to hear from folks like our next guest, Andrew Sherman. He's talked about the crisis of disengagement and what can be done about it. So I hope to catch you then and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 